Good morning, good news. If you would stand for the reading of the word. Our text today is Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. It reads, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless your name today. We thank you for your word that is instruction to us, that is healing for our bones. Father, I ask this morning as Nicholas stands to deliver what you've placed on his heart, Holy Spirit, you would open our understanding and quicken our ears that we could learn about you. We'll be careful to give the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That was Rick Abel, and he is one of my favorite people. Uh, he is, uh, I've known Rick for a long time, and, uh, uh, and he knows the Word of God. He's full of wisdom, and, um, and, and I just want to honor him this morning and uh, thank him for reading the Word. Young people, if you don't have someone older than you and wiser than you in your life, I highly recommend it. Uh, we need people like this to build that sort of community. All right, I have a quick question. Who is at the 930 service? Anybody? You are all my favorite people, too. And you know why? I'm going to leave it at that. No, everybody, I love you. You're all good. Uh, all right, guys, it's the end of the year. It's the end of 2018. It's the last Sunday of the year. And it's been a crazy year. Right? I made the mistake this week of, uh, of, uh, doing one of the, listening to one of those year in review in like news clips, right? There's been so much going on this year. <laughs> um, and even in my personal life, you know, just like, man, it just feels like life is up and down and crazy. And, and even in our church, we've had all kinds of change, right? Guys, a year ago, we had a different name. <laughs> a year ago, we had a different pastor. <laughs> It's crazy, right? One thing that has not changed, we are still in the book of Luke. We have been, yeah, right? Thank you. Thank you. I got a couple of people are excited about that. Um, We've been, we passed the one year mark in the book of Luke. That is crazy. We've been, we've been reading through and studying Jesus and his life and his ministry and what he was all about. And these themes, these topics keep coming up. And, um, I know I've asked this question before, but I think it's a good question. I asked it to my family at Christmas. It's a good little bit of trivia. What was the number one topic that Jesus talked about more than anything else in his ministry? Oh, I heard a few different answers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone knows it. Uh, all right. See, a lot of times we might think it's uh, maybe money or love or grace or truth. But the number one thing Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God. He had a particular interest in, in bringing about and showing what the kingdom of God looked like. And, uh, and this comes at a very, uh, very volatile time in the world. The, the Roman Empire, they had conquered everything. Uh, they, they, they were in charge. Uh, the Jewish people were, they were, they were a subjugated group. They were considered second class citizens at best. And 
and, and all of the religious leaders, they were, they were compromised. They had tied themselves and aligned themselves with, with, uh, with the, the, the political powers of the time. And, and so it's this very politically charged and racially charged and religiously charged society. Anything we can relate to? And Jesus comes about and starts talking about this new way of living, this new kingdom, this, this alternative way to see the world and to think about things that transcends all of that. And it's called the kingdom of God. And he's going from town to town preaching and people are starting to follow him. And, uh, and it's creating this alternative society, this new group of people. And so it's in chapter 16 that we read today. That Jesus starts talking about one more controversial topic. The economy. Yeah, it's the last end of the year. We're going to talk about money. (laughs) I'm as excited as you are. (laughs) Here's the thing. If the kingdom of God is an alternative economy, uh, an alternative society, it's going to require an alternative economy. A new way to think about our money. A new way to think about what we have and what God has given us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, What Rick read earlier today was from the middle of the chapter, but we're going to back up real quick and see a couple stories where Jesus talks about God's economy. So Jesus starts by telling a story to his disciples. There was a rich man who hired someone to manage his accounts. And that guy made some bad business decisions. And so, so, so the rich man unfired him and said, I want an account of all of your books. The manager kind of freaked out. He said, oh no, I, I got to have this job and I'm not strong enough to, to do manual labor. and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know what I'll do. I have a plan so that people will welcome me into their homes after I've been fired. So, so the manager goes to each one of the people that, that owed his master money. And said, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of oil. Okay, tear up your bill. I'm going to write you a new one for 50. Goes to another guy. How much do you owe? A hundred bags of wheat? Oh, let's write a new one for 80. The master found out. And he actually commended the manager for his shrewdness. Shrewdness is like making a smart, fast decision when things are tough. And then Jesus says... The sons of this world are better at managing business than the sons of light. Therefore, make money for yourself by unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you'll be welcomed into eternal homes. That's the end of the parable. Super clear, right? Yeah, yeah, we all know what you're talking about, Jesus. Yeah, sure, sure, eternal homes, unrighteous... So, so does Jesus have a problem with the, the, the money or did he not have an issue with that manager? It seemed like the manager is doing something weird. Why did the master commend? It's kind of confusing. And see, that's the thing about parables. That's actually what I love about parables is because so many times we, we might just think that parables are easy little example stories to make something more clear. But that's not what parables are at all. In fact, many times people were completely confused by what the parable was trying to say. Parables are designed to to make the listener lean in and listen and think about what is being said. 
See, many times we're not comfortable with silence. We're not comfortable with just thinking about what has been said. I find myself in my own conversations just getting sick of hearing my own voice because I always feel like I have something to say, right? You're always trying to jump in with your thoughts instead of just sitting and thinking, what is Jesus trying to say? So let's back up. Let's think. So so, um, is money the issue in the parable? It doesn't seem like Jesus is particularly... He doesn't, you know, the money's there, but he doesn't really care about it. He certainly cares about money in other parables, but it doesn't seem like the problem here. And whatever that manager is doing, it seems like, is he cheating the, the master or, the, or, or is he cheating someone else? It's not, it's not totally clear. In fact, uh, scholars completely uh, disagree about all the details of this parable. It's a really confusing thing. But what is really clear is that Jesus cares about the relationship to the money because it's right after this parable that we go into the verses that Rick read earlier today. Verse 10, one who is faithful in little will be faithful with much and one who is dishonest with little will be, is, uh, is dishonest with much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, there's that phrase again, unrighteous wealth who will entrust you with true riches no one can serve god and money you see money is not the point money can be used for good money can be used for bad jesus fully expects there's going to be times where you're making money for somebody else that's that sort of unrighteous wealth idea what is important is our relationship to the money So Jesus goes on. He's been talking to his disciples up until now. And then we see in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money. I like Luke's little commentary there. They were listening nearby and they heard all of these things and they ridiculed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you try to justify yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is righteous to you is an abomination to God. You see, in this culture at the time, if you were blessed, if you had money and possessions, if you were rich, the assumption was that you were blessed by God because it's all over the Bible, because it's all over wisdom literature, the Proverbs and Job. The assumption is the wisdom of the time is that if you have money and possessions, then you're blessed by God. The problem is that the alternative assumption is that if you don't have money and possessions, you must not be blessed by God. So the Pharisees were very tied up in making sure that they, they had wealth and they kept wealth and they had laws about, hey, don't, you know, give to the poor, but don't give more than 20% because you, you might start to become poor yourself. They were very concerned with money. And Jesus is coming along saying, you can't serve God and money. And they ridiculed him. They said, another translation says, it, they didn't think he was practical. They thought he was out of touch. Guys, the gospel is not always going to be practical. The gospel is not going to make sense to our way of doing things. Jesus is going to say crazy things that do not make sense. The greatest will be the least. The least will be the greatest. Blessed are the poor. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not retaliate. See, Jesus is not preaching good advice. He's preaching good news. He's talking about a reality that we now live in that he is bringing about and it's upside down to the way everything else works. And so when the Pharisees hear him say that you can't love God and money, they start to get really uncomfortable because that's not practical, Jesus. 
Because they had been lovers of money instead of lovers of God. So the next verse, next section is very interesting. And I want to just read this here and get your reaction. All right, so Jesus just chewed them out. He said, the thing that you think is important is an abomination to God. And then he says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Verse 17. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Super clear, right? (laughs) Do you get the feeling that Jesus might have ADD? Jesus, you were talking about money. Stay focused, man. Come on. He's talking about the law and the prophets and the kingdom and divorce. What what is he doing here? What's going on in this passage? Okay, well, let's back up. So first he had this parable about our relationship to money. And then he did this little teaching about uh, you can't love both God and money. And then the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they were listening. What were, the, what were the Pharisees supposed to be lovers of? God. Yeah, totally. That's like their main job, to be lovers of God. And how, how did the Pharisees, how, how would the Pharisees know how to love God? What had God given Israel and the Pharisees so that they would know how to love God? Ten Commandments, the law. God gave them the law. And you got to go back to Israel, right? So Israel had come out of Egypt. Uh, they're brought to Mount Sinai. God goes into covenant relationship with them. And, and then he gives them his law. And what's the greatest commandment in the law? Love God and others. Neighbor. Yeah. These two things are very closely connected. And the entire law and the prophets can be summed up in this idea. Love God and love others. See, there's a common misconception about the law that, that the law is just like, it's confusing, right? It's all these like rules and, and, uh, and it's like the old bad thing. But Jesus came and, and now we have grace and we don't have to worry about the law anymore. But Jesus said himself, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. To fulfill it in the best interpretative sense. Because Jesus understood what the law was really about. See, God gave the law to be a blessing. God gave the law so that they would, so that his people, who he had just been into covenant relationship with, would know how to both love God and love others. And the law is filled with example after example of the working out of that principle. There's all these examples of how to love other people. In particular, to love the vulnerable. How to love the oppressed and the hurting, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. These people groups are all called out over and over and over throughout the law and the prophets. And so there's all these examples. For example, uh, there's, there's the Leviticus that talks about where if, you, if you're a farmer and you harvest your land, you go through the land once and anything that's left over is for, all, for the widows and the foreigners in the land. 
There's another law in Deuteronomy that even, even helps oxen. It says if you have an ox and it's working, it's treading out the grain, don't muzzle it. Make sure that it can eat. The purpose of these laws is to help the vulnerable people. And there's also a law about divorce. Where in particular situations, when someone had been hurt, think adultery, that it gave grounds for a divorce to be made. And the purpose of that law was to protect the vulnerable party. But what had happened over time is that that law had been misinterpreted and misused and abused to the point where in Jesus' day, if you're a, if you're a husband and, and you just don't like your wife's cooking, you just write her a certificate of divorce. Done. It's in the Bible. It's in the law. Right there. I can do it. And see, what had happened, the Pharisees had started misusing their position to gain money and to gain power and started misinterpreting the Bible. They had, they had aligned themselves with their, with their economic system and their political agendas and they'd used the Bible to support it. And Jesus is coming along saying, you had the law and the prophets until John, but now I'm preaching the kingdom of God and everybody's coming in. Oh, but don't think for a second that we're doing away with the law and the prophets. Heaven and earth are going to pass away before that happens because I interpret law better than you. And that's your whole job. And let me give you an example. Marriage and divorce. See, from the very beginning, the heart of the, of the law and the prophets was to protect the vulnerable. And Jesus goes and tells one more story. In verse 19, there was a rich man. And every day he passed by this gate. And at their gate stood a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus would beg. And he had sores all over his body. And the dogs would come and lick the sores. It was super gross. And every day, the rich man passed by and never helped the poor man. So the poor man died and was taken to Abraham. The rich man died and he went to hell. And from his torment, he called out, Abraham, will you send Lazarus, send the poor man for, just give me one drop of water, just to relieve my suffering. And Abraham said, no, you had your chance. You had your blessing on earth. He has his blessing now. And the rich man said, can you, can you at least send Lazarus back to my brothers who are still alive to warn them so that they don't suffer the same fate as me? And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And if they can't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen if a man is raised from the dead. Wink, right? Jesus. <laughs> I think what Jesus is doing here, he's saying if all of that other stuff that we talked about was fuzzy, if anything is unclear, let me make it perfectly clear. God's heart is for the poor and the vulnerable and the hurting. That is who he is running to. And it has always been this way. Some 15% of the Bible is written about how to, how to deal with the poor among us. This is very real. 
This is very tangible. And we even see it in Luke 4, right? Jesus' very first sermon. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind is set at liberty those who are oppressed to declare the year of the Lord's favor. God's heart from the very beginning has always been for the poor. And one commentator said about this, um, this story, We dare not have a gospel with evangelical emphasis and no concern for the poor. Any gospel that is not good news for the poor is not the gospel of Jesus. God is coming for the hurting and the poor. And it comes in an alternative economy. A new way to think about our money. And the first step is our relationship to the money. Because what matters more than the money itself is our relationship to it. And this is particularly important in Western America. Because our relationship to money looks like consumerism. We define value by having a bigger house and a better car and a newer phone. And it creates this anxiety where we constantly need more and more. And this is particularly damaging when you tie it with our rampant individualism. The idea that we need to define our value. We need to find uh, a meaning for self in what we have. And advertising knows this and just perpetuates it by giving us the lie that, that you are not good enough. And you won't be good enough until you have this thing or sign up for this subscription. But that's a lie because as soon as I I buy the thing, Facebook knows what my Amazon account looks like. And I get like 50 more suggestions of things that I don't need, right? Yeah. The second principle we need to, to look at is our investments. In the kingdom of God, in God's economy, your greatest investment is in the poor. God's people from the very beginning were blessed by God so that they could be a blessing. That was the whole purpose. Not so they could be off by themselves just creating their own little Jesus island. So they could be a blessing to all nations. And now we, the church, have the same calling. So are we doing that? Are we a blessing? Do others, does the world around us, see us as a blessing? So there's a few things we need to do to invest in the poor. First, we need to have a vision for the poor. We need to see them. Think of the rich man that every day had the poor right in front of him. We need to see them. The number one sustainer of homelessness is isolation. The feeling that you are not seen. The feeling that you are not a part of the community and you are not valued in the community of which you are a part. So the homeless start to create their own community to try to solve the immediate problem. The, the actual, like the, their main idea is just get through today. But they can't fix the, 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 the systemic problems of poverty and injustice. With that sort of mindset. So the first step for us who have been blessed, have a vision for them. See them. Make eye contact with the person standing there with a sign at 72nd Dodge. Humanize them. Starts as simple as that. Humanize them. 
Next step might be create a relationship, right? Get to know people who are hurting and oppressed, who are in a vulnerable situation. Pam Franks told me uh, a story about someone that helps her with uh, Embrace the Nations, a Wokey, who, who had a relationship with a family that just moved here in August. And through that relationship, she discovered that family didn't have any winter clothes. Can you imagine being outside right now with zero winter clothes, walking around like shorts and t-shirt, right? So she worked, Awoke worked with a small church to be able to provide brand new winter clothes, coats and hats and shoes and gloves and scarves and everything they were going to need. And she continues that relationship, but she wouldn't have known that unless she had that relationship. It might be something that's right in front of you. Start by like just looking at what are the needs, who is vulnerable in my small group? And how can I take care of them? Another friend of mine, this is really practical. Um, he was an assistant manager at a restaurant. And, and, and one of his employees was a student. He was going to be graduating soon, but he was up for a raise. And their policy was that he should get this 25 cent raise. Not that much. 25 cents an hour. But this guy's manager didn't want to give it to him because he was going to be graduating soon and did, you know, just wanted to save a couple bucks. And, and so my friend, the assistant manager, went to his superior and he advocated for his employee, this good, hardworking employee who couldn't advocate for himself. And he got the raise. See, sometimes it's just these little things that are right in front of us, seeing who is vulnerable and how can I care for them. Second is that we need to have a heart for the poor. And I think this is as simple as prayer and fasting. Aligning our heart with God's heart for the poor. And, and it's just as, it could start as simple as just pray regularly. Set yourself a reminder on your phone. Every single Monday at noon when I have lunch, I'm going to pray for those who, who don't have food. And I truly believe that as we pray regularly, not just whenever we think of it, but in some sort of consistent sort of way... As we pray for them, we align our hearts and our minds with the poor, with God's heart for the poor. One resource I really like that's helped me is uh, just a book. It's just like a prayer journal uh, devotional uh, by Shane Claiborne and some others. And it has daily prayers and it specifically uh, leans towards praying for the poor and the orphan, the vulnerable. Pray Psalm 146. Pray uh, the, 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 the first chapter of, of Luke where, where Mary talks about uh, what, what this new kingdom is going to look like. Start to find the verses that align your heart with the poor. And the second is fasting. Because a lot of times we talk about fasting and we're, it's kind of a personal thing to just kind of grow my relationship with God. And that, that can be the case. But in Isaiah 58, Isaiah specifically calls out the people of Israel for, for just focusing on their own personal piety. But not having a heart for the injustice that's right in front of them. Do things that align ourselves with the poor. And the third is to care, care for the poor, to actually do something, to find ways to be a blessing. And this is not a a message about giving or about money. If you haven't figured out, it's about our relationship to it. Generosity is a good thing. I want to celebrate that, that for Christmas, we gave 60 food pantries to families that are, that were in need. That's awesome. This church is a very generous church and that is a good thing. God's heart is for generosity 
But there are times when generosity it, uh, can, can be the thing that just makes us feel like we got off the hook, right? I know for myself there can be times where it's easier to just give something than actually form a relationship. To actually think about how to solve the problems that lead to poverty, that lead to homelessness, to lead, that, that lead to racism. And so we need, to, we, we need to find creative ways to solve the problems of injustice in our society. One lady that, oh, if, you, if you're interested in some more books, these are helpful books about um, solving the... Somebody read those? Yes. Sweet. All, awesome. I'll leave them up there. Um, Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts. This is about uh, getting to the actual core of the problems in our society rather than just throwing money at it. Highly recommend them. Um, Emily Padula is the uh, chief strategy officer at a big hospital in, in Texas. And, um, and, and she started noticing that in her, uh, in her company, there were these health screening programs that they provided to the highest level executives. And she got creative and started thinking, how can we provide these, these health screenings to the lowest paid members in our community? And started a whole program, and that's what they did. They shifted the money around and started providing health uh, assistance to, to those that couldn't afford it otherwise. My friend Leslie Wells here in Omaha has done a ton of work with the homeless. And, uh, and, and I met with him this week, and we started talking about the, this, I, this concept of creative ways to solve the systemic problems of injustice. And one of the things that he's done is that uh, he started a for-profit business called Common Good Recycling that has... Uh, uh, smart, sustainable ways to get rid of waste. And they employed the homeless. Because one of the big problems with it, when you're homeless is not that you don't want a job, but you can't get a job because you haven't had enough job history and don't have the soft skills to actually get an entry-level job. So they provided entry-level jobs, work experience. They would work for a set amount of time while also helping them with their relational Needs and their spiritual needs, taking care of their soul and their emotions, as well as uh, their practical needs, so that they can move into a bigger and better job. See, some of you have um, creative ideas. Um, some of you know how to make money. You're business owners or managers. Uh, some of you have just been blessed with, man, you're just smart. You know, and there are creative ideas, creative ways to, 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 to solve the problem of injustice, to love the poor. And this is what it looks like in God's economy. We're not talking about some sort of social gospel. This isn't some progressive liberal agenda. This is what, what is actually in the Bible. God's heart and care is for the poor, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, to solve every part of their need and their desire, to create a new way of thinking about money and the economy here on earth. So this kingdom of God... can often seem like an abstract concept, right? We say the kingdom of God, and it's this. Jesus preaches that it's like a mustard seed, or it's like all these other things. But the kingdom of God is not an abstract concept. We just celebrated Christmas. What is Christmas? But a celebration of God taking on flesh and blood, Emmanuel, God with us. There's nothing abstract about that. It's real, it's tangible. And there's a real and tangible incarnation of the kingdom of God. And do you know what it's called? 
It's the church. Yeah, our call is to, is to be a blessing, to take what God has given us and to create an alternative society, an alternative to the world, a new way to view things and to think about things that doesn't follow the systems and structures of the world. It's a new way to live. It's an alternative society. But it's not just for our own benefit or for our own good. It's an alternative to the world for the good of the world. You stand with me? So here's my, my, my final question. So this kingdom of God, this alternative society, is called to be a blessing. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. How are we doing that? What are the ways that we can bless someone? How can I see the poor who are right in front of me, the person that is vulnerable and hurting and oppressed that is right in front of me? You don't have to start with some grand idea to, to, to solve poverty in America or something like that. It starts at the grassroots level. Because when I say the kingdom of God takes on the form of the church, I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about us as individuals working together in a community. So it starts with you seeing the person that's right in front of you and then helping others, those literally right next to you today, to do that together in community. So how are we doing that? How can we have a vision for the poor? How can we have a heart for the poor? How can we care for the poor? And the second question, if we're called to be a blessing, is that what the world sees? Do they see that we're a blessing? Do they see that we're an alternative society, an alternative to the world for the good of the world? how can we begin to do that? Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that your heart throughout history has been for the poor and for the vulnerable, for the hurting. And God, we just ask that you would give us a vision to help us see those who are hurting, who are right in front of us every single day. That we would create a heart for the poor. That our heart would align with yours through prayer, Father God. Through coming to your word and seeing how, how you have always cared for the poor. And finally, God, that you would give us ideas, new ways to, to, to be generous, to, to solve the problems of injustice in our society. For the good of the world and for the glory of your name. So that the world would see you that your name would be known. Father God, we thank you for you are good and you are Lord. We declare that we will follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful end of the year and into 2019.